dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am returning to the love of all things Merlot. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Josh Harp, winemaker for Jada Vineyards in Paso Robles. The day started with a tour of the facility and a stroll around to see all of the new things that are happening at this beautiful site on the west side of Paso. This is actually the second time I've had Josh on the podcast. If you would like to listen to the first one, it is episode 201. In that episode, we talk more about the winery and its beginnings, including why they have one of my favorite wines called Jersey Girl. During the interview, which was recorded on site, you may hear some background noise as it was recorded at the winery and a few head shakes from Vegas as he was visiting his dog-friendly Jada Vineyards with me. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. You can do it while you're listening. Those not-so-easy-to-understand algorithms look for new reviews in order to suggest the podcast to other wine lovers. And don't forget to add your email address to the newsletter list on the website to keep up with all things exploring the wine glass. Slanja. Hey, everybody. I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, Spanish wine scholar, Somme service, champagne and Cote de Ron specialist, and a WSET Level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. Stay in the know about all things wine by visiting my website, exploringthewineglass.com. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracina Wines. Today, we are continuing with Merlot Me Month. And I'm excited because I get to drink more Jada today. And we are talking Merlot and Jada. And not only that, but we are face to face for the first time. So nice to meet you in real life. Nice to meet you too, finally. And I'm really happy to be back on your podcast. Thanks. Yeah, so you might be the first two-timer. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yes. I don't know how that worked out. Absolutely. Something, something worked out for us. Uh, the time. stars were yeah. all aligned, right? Um Everything worked out perfectly. When um, Merlot Me asked me if if uh, you could do it, they said, "But you've already, he's already been on." I'm like, "No problem. I'm all right with that. Not a problem." I'm <laughs> talking about a subject that I'm extremely passionate about. So uh, yeah, I couldn't. There was no way I was saying no to this. Uh, and you passionate and to, to, try, to drink Merlot, right? No. And I'm noticing it is a vertical. Yes, yes. I thought it was going to be. Uh, it'd be really fun to kind of taste through the different vintages because uh, these are the 18, 19, and 20 that we have here. Very wildly different vintages and um, kind of goes a good way to explain our technique and what we're looking for in Jada Merlot. It's beautiful. I, I love the fact that when you can taste verticals because it's the same grape. It's right. the same winemaker, same usually process. You know, maybe little tweaks or curves, you know, zigs and zags there, depending on the vintage. But it really is tasting what the vintage has given. Yes, absolutely. So it's a great experiment. Yes, and you know, we uh, you know, we're finding uh, 
not only, well, we're learning every year. I think that's the most important thing is uh, I feel like I have not mastered Merlot by any means. I put a percentage on it. I feel like I'm at 20%, but we're doing everything we can to, to make the best Merlot here at Jada. And uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, the, every vintage is different. So we learned something new and, and uh, give me 50 years. Maybe we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If I can do a 50 year vertical. Hey, let's hey. do that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit, um, a, a little brief backlog of your origin story. How did you come to wine and how did you find your way to Jada? Yeah. Um, so I have a, a, I, you know, I like to think that I have a, a strange backstory, but then the more uh, winemakers I'm in the industry, as you'll find, they come from everywhere. So uh, we all have uh, strange stories for sure. I actually uh, grew up down the street from a small winery up in uh, Cottonwood, which is just south of Reading. Um, that's in uh, the Tehama County, so not really wide, you know, widely known <laughs> as a grape growing region, but um, believe it or not, there's quite a few wineries up there. Um, and then when I was in high school, I, um, I started working, doing side jobs for one of the owners of these, uh, of this winery that was down the street from where I lived. Um, but randomly found myself, uh, working, uh, for them in the, in the winery and in the vineyard, uh, during my summer breaks, uh, um, in high school and, uh, fell in love with it. So I was one of the, uh, few people to, uh, I say a few classmates, a few, a few of my classmates to um, know exactly what they wanted to do leaving high school, which is which is uh, pretty unheard of, I feel. So yeah, um, that is usually that's not something as a teenager or whatever right, yeah. that's on there. Yeah, and, it, and maybe not the most appropriate too. You know, just like <laughs> <laughs> you want to get into the alcohol, alcohol industry. Okay, um, <laughs> you know, my mom, my mom especially was extremely supportive of it. Um, you know, and she was uh, it was funny because. Uh, she was always offering me wine when I was maybe underage a little bit. But, no. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, so I would do a couple sips here and there, but my dad was adamant that we were not doing that. And, um, but I think he finally accepted it once he realized how passionate I was about getting into the industry. So, um, and then in 2010, I moved down here to Paso Robles to actually kind of just immerse myself in the industry and make sure that's what I wanted to do. Um, I, my thoughts were, okay, maybe I'll go into one of the, you know, wine and bit pro programs. Um, but, uh, I ended up finding a job at Sexton Winery, which is also down local or locally here and, uh, never really looked back since then. So, and I've been really lucky to make it to where I am now. And this is a beautiful, beautiful winery Yes, with yes. Jersey roots. So it has a little, <laughs> yep. little you know, special That's place right. in my That's heart right. for me, right. you know, but, and you are doing a lot going on as I was driving in, there's, there's new vines being planted and there's construction going on. So what's yeah, going on with all I, you that? Know, years ago, we realized how important, um, the outdoor space was, I think, for tasting. I think it really puts everyone in, in, a, in a particular mood, in, 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 in the mood that we all prefer to be when we're drinking our wines, which is relaxed and, and, and happy and breathing fresh air. And, um, you know, uh, when the uh, pandemic, um, uh, during that time, we, we had to be very creative with our outdoor space. So. Um, but we really liked it. We fell in love with it and decided that we, we wanted to invest more into um, some outdoor space. So we're, we should be, I think it's somewhere around, uh, it's over a hundred different or a hundred 
person seating that we're we're putting in between this uh, space that's on the oh, wow. uh, what's it more north side and then, and then there's more the the west side that we're doing as well. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of extra seating and um, and we're just again we're just really focusing on on a high end tasting experience, but immersed in kind of the the trees and and and, and outdoor space we have. So I, I think I think it's going to be you know we're, we're pretty excited about it. And your your patio your deck now overlooks the vineyards. Yes. So is the new space also? Yeah. Yes. And that was that was something that was very important to us as well. So we do have this one side that's that's more protected from the wind because we do get the uh, the coastal influence uh, in the evening. So uh, we wanted to make sure we had some outdoor area that was that was usable, um, especially during the winter. Um, but then the other space is on sort of a, a slow a west facing slope, and uh, we're 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 tiering the seating areas. Um, so that they can all see the vineyard, and then we'll actually have a, a, a stage there as well, so we can have some uh, live, live music. music. So, yeah, I mean, again, we can't be more, couldn't be more excited about these uh, these spaces. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I'll be excited to to try it out when it's alive and ready yes. to go. Yes. So let let's talk about Paso as just its own entity. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think is so special about Paso, and you know what makes Paso Robles so great? Uh, I would say just well, I have to say I have to start with the people, right? I think um, that's that's been very important for the wine industry in general here in Paso Robles. Without some of the creative, innovative, um, passionate people that we've had um, since the beginning, really pushing this area as being one of the top growing regions in the world, um, you know, we wouldn't be here where we're at today. So um, just to, just in my time since being here in 2010, you know, we've, 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 we've seen so much change. Right. Uh, and, and also, you know, for, from all aspects, from, uh, from winemaking techniques, growing techniques, what we're planting here in the vineyard. Uh, and, uh, and then of course, just the hospitality side of it surrounding the area. So, a lot has grown very, very quickly, and um, a lot of that is due to these, you know, important figures and, and that have been been around for a while and, and helping, you know, helping grow that. So, uh, I would say that's number one for sure, um, and it's just having that local, you know, regional passion for for what we're doing. Um, from a viticulture side, you know, I would say the the the, the small micro regions, micro climates that we enjoy here. Um, especially here in the Willow Creek District, I mean, you can just go over the hill and it'll be completely different soil, completely different weather uh, patterns, um, different aspects. Um, I, I think that's been, that's led to um, that good struggle to find what works um, from a variety perspective and then also um, as far as soil types and, and, and comparing you know, different varieties of soil types and, and aspects. So, and we're also finding now that that stuff's changing. So mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're still learning you know, how, to, yeah. how to enjoy this region or how to work with this region as much as possible. So you mentioned that you're in the Willow Creek uh, mm -hmm. District AVA, which is the portion of Paso. So for those who aren't familiar with it, Paso Robles was one big AVA and it feels like yesterday, but it was quite some time ago now. I think we're in the 15th, 15th year that we've, 11th since year? Since we've had the sub-AVAs? Or, or since the... Uh, since the sub-AVAs? 
2011, 2011, right? <laughs> I think you're right. I, right? I just, I just, it sounds like a too big of a number. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's great. Um, but it was broken down into the 11 sub AVAs, and yes. now you, we are currently in uh, Willow Creek. And did you, when this broke, when it was broken down into these AVAs, did you think that Willow Creek was going to be like it is the rising star right. of Paso? Right. right. I, I don't. I don't, I don't think so. Cause even when I came to work here, I didn't appreciate that, you know? Um, so when I moved, when I came, uh, started working here in 2015, I saw the superficial stuff, you know, you, you drive in, drive up Vineyard Drive and, and, uh, pull into the vineyard and you see these rolling hills and, and you know, mixed with, with the, the woodland areas that still remain here. Um, and there's plenty of fallow areas also, and it's just beautiful, you know, it's just, it's just gorgeous and it tends to be also a little bit greener over here. And so that's something that really appeals to me. Um, so, you know, you real I realized later that those re those things that are appealing to me also are appealing to, you know, high quality okay. grape growing. So we have a little bit higher, so, you know, moisture retention, uh, we have, uh, more clay loam and in then areas of high calcareous as well. So. Um, and it's just, it tends to get a little bit cooler on this side. So yeah, I definitely was not aware, um, that this would be one of the top regions and, uh, it's definitely, um, something I've been, I, I'm still learning as well. Um, but yeah, there's so much potential here. And like we said, like, you know, we we're talking about before is there's even in the Willoughby district, there's such diversity in, in, in soil and, and again, how um, those little microclimates, um, uh, you know, work with the grapes that you have planted. So, yeah, no, it's uh, um, we're pretty excited to for the future of this. this area. It, it, it's it's actually one of the coolest climates inside Paso. Yes, correct. Yeah, right? yeah. I think uh, York Mountain is is still gets a little bit more moisture, um, and uh, I guess the way I envision it is is that coastal influence hits those mountains and dumps a lot of that water and then we sort of get the next uh, amounts and then and then so on. So, um, but yeah, I think we're, 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 uh, we're probably the second coolest, if not uh, one of the first. Are you so. Winkler two? Three? Uh, I always forget. Or, I think it's, I always forget, to be honest. Yeah, but it is, in terms of Paso, it's like the second coldest, coolest, right? right? Yes, yes. So what is your average um, temperatures during harvest, like forgetting this amazing spike that right, we had yeah. this past vintage. Right. Like typically, what do you see um, during the day? You know, we'll see. Um, it, it's easier to almost just describe kind of uh, our observations um, from the morning on. Uh, you know, our, our, our best growing uh, seasons tend to be we get that coastal fog in the morning, comes in in the evening on the wind about three o'clock at night and everything starts cooling down right about three o'clock so even if it was 100 that day um you get the breeze coming in and uh it'll drop you know 20 degrees pretty quickly and then by that evening um, we can be down to 45 50 degrees so wow. um that's a big diurnal shift yes it's, it's huge um and the important thing is to even on the on the hot days let's say it does get over 95 or even on let's say an 85 degree day we're still seeing a pretty pretty drastic diameter shift so um usually when uh we get in the morning let's say on a, on a harvest day you know six in the morning um we're we're usually fogged in at that point which yeah. is uh, uh always a pretty exciting 
um, experience for me because I love the fog. I love the fog too. I think I, I there's I love looking at it. I wanted to move to Morro Bay. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, you wake up every morning in fog. It's beautiful, and then the Morro Rock will come. You right. know, yeah. You can't ask for a better place. And my husband's like, nope, too much fog. Too well, much fog. You're gonna, you're gonna hear what I have to say. So uh, <laughs> I moved to Morro Bay about four years ago uh, from Atascadero because okay. I just I miss the ocean so much. And uh, and yeah, not to make you too jealous, but I just, I get to basically drive down into the fog fun. every day after work. Uh, I love so. Um, but it's, yeah, no, it's, it's a wonderful experience working in the fog in the morning and then watching it get pulled back out to the ocean, um, and warm up right around 11 o'clock. Um, uh, we'll start seeing the temperatures go up. So by noon, we'll, we'll see, we can get up to, I would say on average, we're around 85 okay. to, to 90. Obviously this last year has been a pretty hot year. So, right. um, but what's nice is we don't normally peak. Um, if we do have a really hot day, we don't normally peak until about three o'clock and then those winds come in. Mm. So it, it's, 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 the temperature is here, but it's usually pretty brief. Um, and those are the best vintages when we see that the, uh, the periods are, are, are very quick of, of high temperatures mm. and then we get those, get those breezes in. So, um, obviously, obviously the, the different vintages that throw us some, some twists that we're right. never ready for, but. Okay. Um, this was actually an interesting year where we're starting to see the fog come back in in the morning a little bit more than we did the previous two years. So, oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. And now the the Willow Creek district is kind of nestled within sort of hugging the Templeton Gap. Yes. So right. that breeze that comes in is coming from the gap right. itself. And right. in terms of Merlot, right, Merlot is a temperamental grape. Yes. And yes. the fog can actually be very detrimental to Merlot, but because you also get that Templeton Gap, right. you have less of a concern. Right. Yeah. I. You know exactly. We. Um. You know. It's. We tend to have pretty low mildew issues as well with this, with the Merlot. I think the soil. We were lucky to have our Merlot in um, uh, a diverse area of the vineyard um, that spans um, high calcareous down to pretty dense um and deep clay loam and and so and we have about 2.9 acres so there's depending on the vintage there's always one part of that block that reacts better to what we're seeing for you know yeah, okay. from a from a, uh, a weather perspective and um so yeah for for me i think without the fog uh we would see much lower quality because it does cool help cool um, and keep those temperatures off early in the morning. And uh, all of our uh, vineyard here is planted um, uh, northeast to southwest. Um, okay. So, and we're on mostly south southwest aspect. So there can be a lot of pretty intense sun in the morning if we're not careful. Um, so it's actually really beneficial for us to have a little bit of shading, um, a little bit of protection from that fog early in the morning. Because right. um, we can get some pretty intense sun on that side. Um, and then also just keeps the temperatures from being more moderate during the day. So the, so the vines are seeing um, more moderate temperatures overall. And uh, I think that also contributes to not only the, the intense color that we get off of this property, but also the, the higher acid retention that we, we tend to look for and expect. So, yeah. And now you said that you have Merloing, calcareous soils, and then the clay. So can you kind of compare contrast in, a, in 
just pick a single vintage, but compare and contrast, what does that calcareous soil provide to the Merlot versus what the clay soils provide to the Merlot? Well, you know, it, it's, um, I thought I had a pattern established uh, up until I think 2020 and kind of flipped everything. Um, but I, again, it's why we're, we're very happy to have uh, Merlot planted in these different soil types. Usually that calcareous is the highest quality and it comes off early and first too. Uh, it's a little bit warmer, uh, it's a little bit thinner soil. And so the Merlot is struggling a little bit more. The berries are a little bit smaller and the, and the um, clusters are a little bit looser. Um, and uh, there's just an intensity that we get from, from that soil. Um, and it, it, is, it is sort of surprising that we also tend to harvest it earlier. So we'll have the highest color, most intense aromatics, um, good structure, and, and it naturally balances a little bit lower yield too. Um, and I think, I think because we have that mixture of calcareous and then heavy clay as well, we have enough soil retention where we're not seeing that early shrivel that can happen pretty quickly with Merlot. You have to be very careful about going overripe with it. So, so as I said, most years, uh, I would say in, in more moderate years, the calcareous, um, section, which reminds me of a lot of those areas that you see in San Simeon. Um, you know, a little bit higher, the, yeah, a little bit higher uh, calcareous sections of the plateaus. That, uh, yeah, the, yeah, those will will be our favorites. But when we get the maybe either on the, the extremes, a little bit cooler or a little bit hotter, uh, we can hang the merlot and the clay loam okay. a little bit longer. It has a little bit more moisture. It can handle the drought years a little bit better. And uh, we can get just as intense and just as aromatic uh, of fruit from, from those sections. So regardless, we find that we pick um, just this 2.9 acre block. We'll pick it sometimes five different times just to get what we need out of that block and, and uh, treat them as individual yes. sub blocks um, so that we're, yeah, we're achieving our, our quality goals and, and making sure we're respecting that fruit properly. Now, bricks is not the all be all of everything right. but what are you looking for so you're going through these vineyards and you're you know you're picking multiple times what are you looking for to say yes i'm going to pick this block right now or i'm going to hold on to this block so what what are your trigger points for it's time to harvest yeah you know it's it's not um the most exciting for some but we do a lot of uh phenolic analysis in the okay. vineyard so we we are checking color and seeing how um it's actually been an extremely useful tool because then we can start to um, flag these different areas, these blocks, and learn more um, as to how they ripen um, just by looking at color. As you said, it's not everything, so but it's a great it's a great way to keep help focus us so that we can figure out um, how we should sample these blocks and, and so on. So, so we start there and just looking at color both visually and with uh, phenolic analysis. Um, and then I like to obviously get out there and taste the fruit too. Um, and I, with Merlot especially, I feel like you can you know when uh, that fruit is starting to get ready, uh, especially when you see you know the pulp uh, goes from that kind of what do you call it, like jelly bean or jelly belly. Right, right, right. <laughs> it starts to soften up, and the skin starts to soften, and uh, and also I think the flavor you can, you can definitely get the flavor off of the Merlot when it's um, starting to get to uh, where it's ready to harvest. Um, as far as uh, you know, as far as uh, pH and TA, um, I'm actually less concerned about it because I know that we have this diverse block that's going to give us 
different um, acid levels. And then also we do tend to blend a little bit of something else, whether it's Cabernet or Petit Syrah, um, if we need to change the chemistry on that point. So I like to do that a little bit more naturally if we can. Um, that being said, we don't normally need to because we uh, this vineyard, for whatever reason, tends to give us extremely high TAs and low pH wines. Um, where uh, you know people would be jealous of, of how much acid we have. <laughs> so um, so yeah. If anything, we're looking to soften it up by maybe blending something with a little bit higher pH. But for I like it. I think it's um, it's for me whatever it comes in at. I'm happy with as long as we, we get the right balance of tannin and color and flavor and, and uh, the rest we can work with. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're actually here for Merlot Me Month, right? So what is, what do you see as the concept of Merlot Me? Why do we need Merlot Me? Why should people be paying attention to Merlot Me? I have so many feelings. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's funny because I came into this industry, um, I think more, way more naive than I think we all do, right? Yeah. Way more naive than I, I, I thought I was. And, and um, it, it wasn't really until much later that I, I realized that there was this sort of, um, these challenges that Merlot has, has gone through over the years. Uh, I actually fell in love with Merlot when I started here at Jada. I realized how great the quality was here. Um, I just, I love the flavor. Um, I love the aromatics. I love the challenge of growing it and making it. Um, and then how many different ways you can actually work with this grape. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't until later that I realized that, that Merlot had, had experienced some, uh, some, some problems, some hard times. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that was a challenge to me to, um, to, to not only just speak positive things about Merlot to anybody and anyone who would, who would listen, <laughs> who would listen. <laughs> um, but also to just take it seriously as its own grape. Cause I really do think it is an excellent standalone grape. It does not have to be, um, blended if you don't want to. It has great color, it has great structure, um, and uh, and I think if you respect the fruit, it really will give you um, give you what you're looking for, and will give you a lot back. So, so that's you know from 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 the Jada side, we've been really trying to um, you know we make Merlot. Uh, we have very specific techniques we're using, specific barrels we're using. We're trying not to over oak it for sure, because I know in the past that has been one of the issues mm -hmm. that some people expect is maybe too oaky. Yeah. It does like sweet. its oak, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, and so it takes um, a lot of the oak on if yes, if you allow it absolutely, to. Absolutely, absolutely. And it does work well and that's the thing. Mm -hmm. It can be very, very enjoyable. But um, for me I really like the um the the specific flavor and aromatic profiles of Merlot. It's just it it, it always brings me back to some moment in my childhood when I I, I can't really explain it, but uh you know, whether it's baking pies and in, in, in the home or, 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 or something or, or almost Christmas spices or something. Right. So, um, so I, I think it's really important to showcase those things and also show, showcase the versatility of Merlot and, and, um, and just re, you know, it's kind of a hard word, but like re, re-educates, um, our customers and, and everyone out there that, um, they're really missing out from that. They're not trying Merlot, especially nowadays. And, and um, you know, I think uh, 
there are definitely a lot, especially here in Paso Robles, which I was actually surprised after uh, going to that uh, going to that tasting. Um, there's a lot of people very passionate about Merlot that are making uh, small production wines um, in very different, distinct okay. ways, and, uh, and and they're all great. So yeah, no, I think it's very important. Very important that people uh, uh, try Merlot, uh, give it a chance, and, and see what we've done with it over the last few years. Those those baking spices that like you uh, yes. talked about, I love it, and that's one of the things I love about Merlot. Also, although I'm really bad at describing which baking spice it is, so I have oh, a tendency yeah, to just say baking spice. Right. Um, I was tasting another one uh, earlier this week, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm gonna say cardamom, but. I don't really know what cardamom is. I don't even know if I've right. ever used cardamom, but that's what's come into my mind. So we're going to go with that. But what are those baking spices? Yes, no, um, I agree. With you. That's <laughs> that's how I do it too. I, I'm the worst at retrieving some, uh, you know, tasting uh, tasting words, and um, but that's what it reminds me of. That's it's easier just kind of it's this experience of of smelling all of those things all of at once, right. all at once, and uh, especially if you put the right milk in there too, that accents those characteristics. Or brings out its own barrel spice. Okay. Um, it's just there's nothing better than it. So yeah. And not that I am at all saying that Merlot should only be drunk in the fall, but it's to me it's a perfect fall wine because oh, it just brings in the fall leaves and you know not that we you know I think back to Jersey all the colors that come in like that's that's what it Merlot does to me when I when I have it. Oh, I, I completely agree. I completely, yeah. it's, a, it's a very cozy wine. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, again, I don't want anyone to mistake that for it being rich and you know, too rich right. or too uh, too soft or lacking structure in any way. It's 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 cozy because it, it has this unique profile. Right. That Absolutely. I think um, you know, again, sometimes it needs to be um, brought out and, and, and very carefully, but uh, it's definitely yeah. it's definitely a fun wine. And now, a word from our sponsor. Dracaena Wines loves to give back. There are so many fur babies that deserve to find their forever home. We would love to be able to help as many as possible. If you are part of a nonprofit organization or know of a nonprofit organization that would like to hold a fundraiser, please contact us at contact at dracinawines.com or visit our website, dracinawines.com, to fill out the form. How does the fundraiser work? It is super simple and costs your group absolutely nothing. Together, we will choose a month that your group will be sponsored. During the month, you promote the fundraiser just like any other event you'd hold. At the end of the month, we will donate 20% of the sales to your organization. The donations will be made in the name of each individual who purchased the wine so that you know exactly who helped the animals. Our goal is to raise as much funds as we possibly can and to help as many animals as possible. So please help us help as many fur babies as we possibly can. And now what is your barrel program? For your Merlot, you know we change, we experiment a lot, so we've changed it over the years. Um, I, I, I've settled on uh, a couple different cooperages that I really like. Um, uh, one of them is uh, Orion or Orion, mm-hmm. and then uh, Mie. And uh, Mie specifically, I think, is they got their start, I believe, in Santa Maria, uh, oh, okay. making barrels for Merlot. So, so I thought, okay, that's a good place to start. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, I really like, especially my, my philosophy with working with Cooperages is um, to not get in the way of the process. Just like, you know, well, we try not to get in the way <laughs> right. of the winemaking process. Um, you know, basically ask them if they can make something or if they have something that works for a specific profile, a specific goal, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so they, they provided us with some barrels that uh, I think pair perfectly. I tend to go on more the medium, medium long side. So okay. again, to not over toast or 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 or, um, or mask the the aromatics on that. And then I'm mostly looking for barrels that add help add structure and help round out the wine a little bit um, and just lift it up uh, overall. So um, again, try that's kind of how our philosophy is with most of our wines. Just not get in the way too much with the with the oak. Add nuance, but um, always. Always try to add character that makes you think, what is that? As opposed to, that's oak. Right, right, right. You don't want to take it up to you and go, oh, okay, this I is I know what this is, yeah, exactly. Yes. So I want, I want there to be that question mark, that, that, that you know, that curiosity that you invoke, you know, you invoke in our customers, so. And then uh, usually it's around 30 or 40%. I mean, sometimes yeah. we go a little bit more than that, but I like to be on a, a little bit on the lower okay. side, for sure. Um, and then also we experiment with larger format barrels and we've done concrete in the past as well with Merlot just to try it out but hmm, yeah. that's that's got to be interesting concrete Merlot yeah like, I think it depends I, it depends on the vintage you okay know? yeah whether that's that's something that that's gonna uh, work or not you know we try not to be um, too dogmatic about um, uh, how we make it because it, again that's what you know we discussed here today right. every vintage has its surprises and, and uh, you we have different goals with the vessels we're using um, as to how to treat that wine, so. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things I think is so cool about winemaking, that people who are enjoying the wine don't necessarily understand that. But the fact that you take a vintage and you're like, okay, I'm looking at this vintage, this is what I'm bringing in. Now, you know what, concrete is gonna be able to give me my desired, or you know what, I'm gonna put it in larger, larger barrels or smaller barrels. Those are those, so-called minuscule decisions <laughs> that have a massive, massive impact. Yeah, and happening all the time. That's a great point uh, you make because there's definitely, as much as we talk about analysis and, 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 and what barrel to Cooper's choice, there, there's no recipe. And, and I think, uh, uh, I guess the recipe is there is no recipe, right? right. So <laughs> as long as you wrap your head around that, um, you have you realize you have to be flexible from the moment those I mean really out in the vineyard too, but the moment those grapes get into the winery, can't how do I change my plan? You know, you start with something a base plan, and then how do we how do we modify this to work with what we're seeing in real time? So, okay. um, and yeah, I think that's very important. That's why we have so many different types of vessels as well. And we have five hundred liter. We have uh, multiple sizes of concrete that we're working with as well, just in case something works. We think it's something's going to work best that year. So. And then uh, something I haven't talked about too is we also do a lot of co-fermentation in the vineyard. So we are making decisions, or uh, co-fermentation uh, in the tank, um, but we're, we're planning that in the vineyard, uh, you know, whether it's different sections of our Merlot block alone or if we're doing, like, sometimes we've even done like a Merlot and a small amount of Tiverdeau uh, coming on. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Just depends. Okay. So I'm a little thirsty. Okay. So I think it's a good time to start with, with the first one. You said yes. the first vintage is? Uh, 2018. 2018. So while you're pouring, talk us through what you think um, 
this vintage was like and how how you uh, dealt with it in the yeah this was a this was a very interesting so uh, you know 18 um, trying to figure out how to be diplomatic with this <laughs> I feel like 18 was one of those vintages we were all waiting for because you know 17 was great but it had a lot of challenges previous years were uh, I think 16 was also very good but um, you know we had just entered into that well those are the final years of the first drought right so there were a lot of challenges there um, some high tannin years some low color years um, and uh, and then here comes 18 uh, and we were getting um, some of the normal heat spikes we're seeing but great diurnal shifts um, moderate weather overall and uh, and then in the middle of harvest there was also this kind of two-week cold period where um, we all just sort of had to sit around and wait because um, either stuff came in early and it was ready and then or uh, it needed that extra time to hang and we were we were given that gift of the, these, these two weeks of, uh, of hang time okay. so um, I remember it being very stressful because as as you know like during once you start bringing in food it feels like you <laughs> yeah. cannot stop yeah there is no yeah you, know, you don't stop this, this train so uh, you know I remember distinctly we thought we were never gonna be able to bring in because it was actually a high pretty high yield year too we were never gonna fit everything. A high yield? Wow! Yeah. For us, it was a high yield. I should say so. It was a higher yield. Um, it actually was because seventeen yeah. was really a low yield. Yes, yes. And eighteen was a little bit high, and then nineteen kind of was right. back to seventeen. Yeah, right. Exactly. So seventeen, we had some of the high the heat spikes. We hit one hundred eleven here in the middle. Right. So um, we had a lot of. Uh, we definitely lost some fruit just due to uh, just due to burn and raisining. And, uh, and and that's what I was saying. So like come eighteen, everything looked normal, everything looked fine, and it was. I mean, just it was just kind of this perfect vintage. And, and the reason I'm saying I'm being diplomatic is I think eighteen was one of those vintages that makes every winemaker feel like the best winemaker in the world. Like, <laughs> we're like, yes, everything's everything's coming. It's dark. It's it's um, it's structured. It's not too tannic. Um, um, you know, everything was clean, so there wasn't as many raisins. We didn't have to do as much work to sort uh, sort out raisins or, or shop areas and so on. Um, so yeah, so no, it was it was kind of like that ideal vintage that we expect, um, and we got decent yield, so we were all pretty happy. Um, so yeah, I, for, from from Merlot uh, perspective, um, it was uh, it was a great color year. Again, not too high tannin. Um, it's beautiful color. Yes, thank you. It, it, you know, it, it just kind of naturally very structured, um, and the acid in here is phenomenal. Yes, and lots of acid also. And again, from that, I think it was just a very cool, uh, moderate vintage, and we had a lot of acid retention. And we did actually end up we did blend this a little bit, so um, we love our blends here. So I think we ended up doing let's see what it was a little bit of Cabernet and Tisserand as well. Okay. Um, and I, I find mostly just to add a little bit more, um, a little bit more nuance and, and a particular kind of structure from the cabinet, but otherwise, uh, um, the... It had to be a small amount of pizza raw, right? Yeah, I think it was only 6%. Oh, yeah. So this is... But it is such a bright red yeah. garnet. It is, you know, like I think, I love pizza raw, don't get me wrong, but... Right, right. It usually... Yeah darkens everything right, right, <laughs> you know right um, we're we're very very careful if we do use petit i'm moving more towards uh 
using Petiverdo if I want to, to add a little bit of, of, of complexity and color. But uh, yeah, she's right. You have to be very, very careful, with, especially with Merlot, because it will try to dominate the nose. Okay. And uh, for me, it's very, very important, no matter where we land in the percentage of Merlot in these blends, um, that it tastes like Merlot. And it's the first and foremost. Of Do you, uh, this is probably a horrible question, but um, if you had to, <laughs> if you had to designate this as a Merlot, not necessarily this Merlot, but yeah. Merlot as a masculine or a feminine wine, where would you put it? I would say this is probably more towards the masculine side. Um, it's got a little bit more structure, I think, that even could use a few more years. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say give this five more years. It'd be really interesting to see it kind of on the other side where you're getting more of those um, those tertiary qualities and, and uh, in, in a little bit more softening of the tannin. Yeah, I would say that was kind of that's kind of the best way to describe it. Uh, and then also from from an aromatic perspective, and you'll see as we go into the nineteen, um, it's it's very much Merlot, yes. um, but there is it's it's a darker it was a darker vintage, and we didn't really realize this until nineteen, but it, it has more of this kind of brooding, earthier, darker quality to it. That's the first um, thing that that came to my thoughts when I smelled it was the the earth right of it right exactly um, and the again going back to Merlot and fall it's it's not just earth it's it's fall earth it's you know the leaves are on the ground right. and they're you know yeah exactly. it's in there and then it, it is dark fruit and Merlot can has a huge range <laughs> of what flavors yeah. it can it can give out. Yeah, no, and that's what is you have that core that core. Um, I mean, we've seen some that are very floral and, and on the fruitier side, and and, uh, and then you get kind of this more earthy side. And so um, again, you'll see as we kind of go into the nineteen, it's a, it's you know like to go back to the eighteen. It, it, it was it was a vintage we thought would be all vintages for the upcoming future and then um, and then we were very excited about the, the vintages afterwards so um, I don't know if it was uh, some changes that we made in the vineyard um, you know definitely just trying different techniques uh, we've definitely been trying to limit um, uh, the the yield on the vine to make sure that we're balancing everything perfectly um, and we do a lot of cluster shaping as well uh, preparation oh, okay. cluster shaping just make sure there's not too much compaction even airflow and sunlight around every cluster and uh, and just balance uh, balance canopy on, on everything so uh, with the Merlot especially because like I said we're trying to really focus on, on, on introducing Merlot to our customers and how great it can be um, we probably put some of the most, uh, probably one of the highest cost per acre to, to farm is, is our Merlot because of these, these, these techniques we've implemented. So, so when you're doing the, the actual, um, cluster shaping, mm -hmm. are you trimming shoulders? Are you actually pulling grapes to provide a little bit more? Cause Merlot can be a tight cluster. That's one it of the, can be. that's yeah, one of the yeah. issues with why right. it can be prone to the mildew and right. things like that. So are you cutting shoulders? Are you actually pulling clusters to give a little more space? Would it, or, or yes, no, that's a good question. And we, we've, we've changed it over the years. And, and uh, what's, what's interesting is as we've talked about, as far as the soil goes, we'll see different, uh, what is the morphological, morphological oh, okay. characteristics from the top 
or in the bottom of the of, of the of the block, you know, where there's yeah. more clay. So we'll see a little bit tighter, it's gonna be a little bit tighter, a little bit bigger berries in the bottom, and then a little bit looser, longer clusters um, on, on the top with smaller berries. So um, we more tend to water have to be, retention, yep. less water retention, exactly. a little harder up there than exactly. on the clay. So it's almost like it's naturally shattering the cluster a little bit, but not necessarily. It's more just it's I think it's a smaller berry. It's a little bit elongated on the uh, on the cluster. Um, we found we're still trying to find a balance, but uh, uh, we found that actually um, I'll try to make sure that we're doing at least two clusters per per shoot. Okay. But in order to do so without compaction, um, we may do more than just the shoulders and the wings. So it will say um, we're basically looking for this almost tubular shaped um, oh, okay. cluster where. You know, all of the, the, the shoulders and wings are off, but if there's there's still kind of like the sub shoulders, if you will, um, if they're hanging out and touching some one of the other clusters, we'll go ahead and remove one or two of those. So you get these sort of beautiful long clusters. Um, it tends to almost seem like it elongates the stem a little bit too if we do it earlier. Um, and so you uh, so we're balancing the vine where we're not doing too few clusters or too many, um, but we're we're getting again a lot of airflow and and again balanced sunlight all around that cluster so every every berry hopefully sees the sun at some point during the day you know and i think that's been uh, the most uh, most helpful for for building color as we've seen uh, over the years but it's very very intensive very hand, <laughs> right very intensive yeah. very intensive so what does the uh well actually let's talk about the name straits so where yeah. does straits come from so the messina family who uh who founded the uh, jada winery uh they um obviously the last name messina uh the the grandfather um uh, immigrated from from sicily to uh hell's kitchen new york which is why we have the hell's oh. kitchen name as well uh, and uh, and then just kind of just explain one of our other names, the Jersey Girl. Um, yeah, one of Jack, my favorites. <laughs> Jack, Jack Messina's wife is from Jersey. So uh, so, anyways, uh, in that area, they wanted to they wanted to originally name uh, this wine after the Straits of Messina, uh, oh. which is from in that area. Uh, and unfortunately, I think they were not able to use the word Straits with an I. So, uh, what, so is it dire straits? <laughs> probably, who knows? They probably have their wine. Let's go yeah. find it. But, uh, um, so, so they decided to, they wanted to stick with that though. And kind of a, as a, as a, a memory of, of, um, uh, of that experience. And, uh, just, just change the why to, right. to have it their way. So, <laughs> and, and keep the straights in, but yeah, it's kind of a, just a playful, um, a lot of the names that are based off of, uh, family history, um, or, or origin stories. Is this a new label design? No, I think actually um, it, the design has been relatively the same over okay. since 2000, at least 2014, 15. Oh, okay. Um, but Josh Messina, so the, our, our GM and, and uh, uh, the son, son of Jack Messina, is very creative and, and tends to be, he's great with Photoshop. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've, we've moved things around or maybe made oh, okay. them bigger or changed the color slightly. But uh, I'm trying to think, what we have changed is actually the bottle. Um, it, it was slightly different mold here. Oh, okay. uh, but yeah, as far as the label design, I think it's a pretty similar. You, you purposely changed the bottle or because of supply chain, we you changed the bottle? No, actually, well, yeah, I know. It's a great question. We actually were um, 
had a great sales rep with our, our glass supplier and yes. she was very adamant that we stay on top of our ordering. So we were we were lucky enough to avoid the worst of that. We definitely had to delay a bottling, I think, in I think it was in twenty. Uh, we had a delay of bottling, but um, okay. uh, postpone bottling. But it wasn't too much of an issue. Actually, the reason we wanted to go with this new design was um, we uh, started going capsuleless on all of our rum bottles. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we love it. I mean, it's it, we we don't see a way going back. So um, so we started moving towards that, and we went, how can we do this with the Bordeaux bottle? We tried it with the original mold, and it just doesn't quite have the same look. So uh, we went with this more. Uh, tapered style shoulder here um, and no capsule and uh, and looks great so yeah okay. that was this small I um, I have been on a rampage for years to go capsule list. Yeah. like yes. I just don't get why like I understand why there were right. capsules right. like historically historically yes. why there were capsules but t in today's world there's really not a reason to go right to have that um, yeah, we're not. What, what is it? You know, we're not storing our wines in these damp cellar where cellars. the rats are <laughs> yeah. and all of that. Or you hope there's no rats right. or whatever, right? right. Um, and I just, I, I just, it's better for the environment. I'm sorry, right. <laughs> you right. know. Don't want to put the capsule people out of business, but right. No, <laughs> but, and, you know, we were, um, as you know, uh, bottling prep is one of the more stressful times of the year, yeah. and trying to make sure you have all of these different things lined up, and they're all going to arrive. Not too early and right, not right. late. So, um, you know, we were buying uh, from Rollandine, which is, you know, it's a wonderful uh, uh, company providing tin capsules, but that means we're either shipping or flying these capsules over from, from Spain. Right. And, uh, you know, looking at it now, it's just, it doesn't make sense as far as. Um, Everything, the carbon emissions, carbon emissions, the cost, exactly. everything. So, right. you know, we're trying to move towards a more sustainable. Um, you know, being a more sustainable winery and, and focusing down on even the small things. Um, uh, yeah, so no, that that was uh, that was an important step that we've we've made over the years. Okay. We've, we've so far been very very happy with it, and everyone gets to see the cork. You know, right? Is, absolutely. <laughs> we did redesign our cork. Yeah, you kind of do have to. You have to do that because yeah. you have to let people know. Oops, we didn't forget right. something. This right. is the finished product, right? right. right. <laughs> you know, and one of the nice things too, because I think what you know, capsules. I don't know if they are now, but. You know these tin ones are 20 30 cents a capsule which adds up pretty very quickly, quickly. and uh you know we said well, okay we can save that and we can maybe upgrade our cork a little bit we, you start focusing on other things that maybe you were not doing because you're just adding to the cost of the right margin. so uh yeah so yeah once you get really granular it's it's really interesting the small little changes i guarantee yeah. <laughs> i say it all the time people don't understand all of the behind the scenes right things that go on like you know the the wine making the processes that, that go through your brain to say what how can i make this the best wine right that it can be and at the same time without changing that wine right you want you want this to be merlot you yes. want it to you you want when somebody brings it up to their nose and to taste it to know that it's merlot but every vintage has its challenges and as the winemaker you need to do different things to allow that fruit to express itself in the best possible way of that vintage. And that's not always easy. <laughs> no, it is definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> you know, and, and, and to add to that, and I think it's important to remember, you know, we um, we build our customer base, customer base around uh, these packages, which are made for 
the eye, you know, right. it, we, 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 so we do want something that's familiar um, from a packaging perspective to, to our wine club members and our, our, our regular customers as well. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that's an important aspect to remember. It's like we, we, we make these changes, but we have to have a reason for it and also needs to respect what we think of the wine inside the bottle right. too. So I think that, that goes a long ways. And, and uh, you know, I think people know intuitively, you know, if, if, um, if they're not, if there isn't a cohesiveness to what you're trying to do on the outside of the bottle, then it's sort of whether true or right. not makes them think, are they, do they have it together they're, they're, when it comes to the wine? Right. The Agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So as long as there's a store and there's a purpose, right. I think it's very important. Right. And with Merlot, mm -hmm. with the problems that Merlot has had, um, what, what do you think was back in the day, the, the biggest issue with Merlot? You know, I, I, I have my opinions for sure. So, um, but I, I also have not probably done the research I should have. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm basing this a lot off of, of, of hearsay and what right. I've heard from not customers especially, but also, um, you know, people who have been in the industry for a while and seen these changes. I, I think, I think that Merlot, uh, we've talked, we've, we've touched on this a little bit. Merlot lends itself so easily, like you said, to either, um, the oak you put it in, um, it lends itself to being very rich and luscious. Um, and, and maybe even, uh, you know, you, leave a little bit extra sugar in there and next thing you know it's kind of the easiest thing to drink in the world so it's it's very easy to um to go a little bit um a little bit crazy with some of those things um and forget kind of lose your way with it because it because it, it, it is an elegant wine or a grape um but it's it's not going to dominate if you try to cover it up with anything so i think i think one um is, is maybe we lost our way a little bit of how to respect the fruit, uh, specifically with use of barrels. Um, we maybe lost our way with, uh, with how to grow the, grow the grape and kind of the best environment for it, the best mm -hmm. soil. So, because it was doing so well, I think there was a lot of fruit that got planted, a lot of Merlot that got planted at the time, um, and it got planted everywhere. So next, next thing you know when that happens, um, Merlot starts to lose its distinction um, and, and, and sense of variety and, and bridal character. Um, and uh, I think that the customers maybe experience that as well, that they were slowly not seeing what Merlot's potential could be and what it was supposed to be because uh, just because there was a lot of fruit just getting blended from different soil types and different regions. and. And, and then again, be, maybe being masked by um, maybe not the right barrel choices and so on. So I, I think that, um, and then that of course led to the downfall or the decline in, in uh, and, we, and of course there was this movie so on <laughs> that we won't necessarily talk about, but um, I'm not sure how much of an impact. And I think maybe uh, there was a lot of things that happened all at once. Uh, that led to the, the decline of, of Merlot. And I think once sales went away uh, from uh, on Merlot uh, in the general marketplace, Merlot got pulled out and started getting planted by, you know, in, in its place, whether it was Cabernet or something else. So I, I, I call Cabernet Sauv the bully. Because it came in and it was Because like, it came in, yeah. it, no matter what's planted, <laughs> 
it gets ripped out and cab gets planted right, right? It, it replaces yes. every right. it replaces right. everything and you know merlot got pulled out and we're gonna put cab in there and you know we're gonna pull out cab franca we're gonna put cab in there. it's like everything gets pulled out right and what goes in is cab so it's it's my bully line yes yes <laughs> yes no, I, it makes that's Total, makes total sense. So I, I think, you know, as a non-wine historian, um, that would that'd be kind of my uh, my perspective. And I think that had, the, the lasting impact has been that so much Merlot got pulled out so quickly. Um, and we sort of all collectively lost. You know, there was a few uh, remaining who wanted to make great Merlot and who kept making Merlot, but um, wandering back into it now. And so uh, my one worry for the future is we just have to make sure and I'm going to put this on the customers <laughs> make sure you know where you're getting your Merlot from and, and what their story is who's making what you know what why they're making Merlot and, 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 and we can all together make sure that we don't repeat what we experience in history and because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I know there's, there's I hope there's going to be a trend towards drinking more Merlot but I hope so too yeah. I hope so too what's the next vintage next one 2019 2019 so this, um, so again, so coming out of 2018, we all felt wonderful. We thought uh, patting ourselves on our backs, and um, there's no way there could be a better. <laughs> I, I think that was uh, that was that was probably uh, my biggest takeaway from it. But uh, so 19 was definitely not without its challenges. I think um, that it was. It was definitely uh, didn't have that cool period in, in the middle, but um, it was quite a moderate growing season. Uh, was lower yield as we expected, so a little bit smaller berries, more concentrated, um, and uh, we didn't have as many. We had some heat spikes, but they were pretty brief. Obviously, it would, it would get up to maybe 100, 100, 105, maybe at the most, but then it would quickly cool down. We wouldn't. We didn't see these, um, you know, three, four, five day. Uh, heat waves that we um, have experienced and even since then so looking and again this is why making wine by just analysis can be challenging so looking at the color in the vineyard uh, we we were uh, early on actually a little bit disappointed uh, but then we realized the fruits hanging beautifully um, you know it was low sugar uh, and it's just it was just it, it, you could hang it forever it felt like so um, it wasn't until we actually got it into the winery we realized that there was intense color. So it was it was deeper. It was, yes, much deeper. Lots of color. It was it was extracting very quickly. The tannin um, was definitely a challenge. But uh, uh, since nineteen, we've seen even higher tannin. So um, so you had to be careful about uh, how much we were extracting from a tannin side. Um, because again, there's only so much color to polymerize, and, and there's once you get into uh, that higher tannin level, you start to mask those yeah. the nuance of that merlot. But most importantly, I think for the 19 is we just love the aromatics. I think across the board, there was just an intensity in the aromatics that we were seeing in the 19 vintage that we didn't get in the 18. Um, a little bit more floral. I was going to say this is this is a completely different wine. Yes. Um, from the get go, the color the color is deeper, the tannic structure is higher, the acidity is lower. Right. But it still comes in balance. So like everything in wine is right. balanced, right? right? But the aromatics where the the eighteen was that the earth that comes mm-hmm. first to me. This is floral. This has got a little lavender, a little um, 
those white flowers. Um, <laughs> you I would know. say white flowers. Yeah, <laughs> white, those white flowers that I don't remember what they're called. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now that was uh, that was a surprise, and uh, I get floral. There was there was a there was a lot of fruit, but it was it was it was ripe fruit. It wasn't it wasn't um, overripe in any no. way. It was just beautiful, pure cherry and strawberry, and and. Uh, and then you, you can get that plum, but it's like a perfect plum, you know, that you get on the on the low. And uh, so we were, it was it was a it was a wonderful surprise for, for the 2019. I mean, probably one of our, our, our top vintages just from just from an aromatic from a flavor profile. Right. Yeah, very exciting. And then the structure is just, it's it's beautiful. At what point did you go? Holy shit! This is like a, like oh my god! These aromatics on here. Like, was it when you pressed it, was it after it was in barrel for a little while and you're like, you're walking through the, you're walking through the barrel room and you're barrel yeah. sampling and you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was all three because you're always surprised, right? I think it was uh, in the fermenter. Um, you know, it's always a tease in the fermenter. It's never like, that it is smells true. wonderful, but it's never the same as what you smell uh, in the barrel. Um, but I remember just thinking, uh, you, you, you just know when you're small fermentation, whether there's maybe a little to be raisins or it's not, right. wasn't, wasn't ripe enough too ripe. Um, you could smell that it was already balanced, uh, just in the fermentations. And then I think early on, uh, like you said, we were doing some of our first barrel tastings, um, and seeing how well it was integrating with the oak we put it on. Um, and just, it was sucking up the oak in a, in a, in a good way and still just so intensely um, aromatic so yeah I think uh, we knew pretty early on uh, and then and then also from a color perspective uh, especially watching it in the press you load it up in the press and you see it come out and you go I don't remember it. <laughs> where did that come from so uh, so yeah I, I, it was one of those years where it's like we're never gonna get that stain out right. so it was uh, yeah it was a great surprise but yeah we I think I think through all stages we've been we've been surprised and, and then even now in bottle with uh, with a little bottle age. I mean, it's just it's 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 aging gracefully, and I think it's got many many more years. So you want to sit in bottle. And, and oh, absolutely. So, so I, yeah, I think it's it's been a surprise all the way through. And th this is the vintage that you're like, why wasn't there more? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I can't I can't remember the yield. I, I don't think it was much more than like two point eight tons an acre or something like that. So. Um, you know, we've, we've found we can definitely hang over three pretty healthily, but there was no, we just weren't going to get it, you know, yeah. this year. So with, with all, with, yeah, even as much as we try, but yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, this, this is beautiful. A, 18 was beautiful. And that's the thing I love about wine is like, I, and when I record these things, I'm always like, I have to stop using the word beautiful. I have to, right. but each wine can be beautiful in a completely different yes, yeah, way. Yeah. Um, these are very different wines from each other. And you can see yourself um, enjoying them differently. Like right. depending on what meal I was eating, I was making, I would choose the 18 over the 19 or the 19 over the 18, depending on, you know, what I was making or, you know, what I was doing. Uh, you know, like for example, the eight, the 18 to me is more of, uh, you know, I can sit down and have that more by itself. Right. Where the 19, I'm going to want some food with that 19 more, you know, to, to, in, 
not enhance because it's phenomenal, um, right. but like to enhance to, each other, to enhance <laughs> each other. Yeah. To, to yeah. play, to play exactly. with, to play exactly. in the sandbox with, you right. know? Right. Um, and that's, that's one of the things I love about wine is, you know, like I said, at the very beginning of this, same grapes, same vineyard, same winemaker, same, you know, brain processing these things and they come out completely different. Yeah. And, 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 and even to, to, to drill down on Merlot itself. I mean, it's a great example, even for myself, you know, learning from these vintages. Yet we, we can't have full expectations on what we're going to get from these wines. And I think we, and we, we have to allow that vintage to showcase what it's going to be and, and, uh, and be very, and be happy with it. And then, and then just shepherd it, if, if you will, in the direction it's going to go. But I think it's very, it should be very exciting for, for customers that, that, Merlot can be this, um, this, the wine, this wine that can change in so many different ways and, and from each vintage to vintage, but still be a high quality wine. Right. And, and extremely enjoyable to drink. And, um, I'm glad you touched upon food pairing too, because I think it's, it's, it's something to note that, you know, that is something that we are as winemakers thinking about, um, you know, here at Jade at least, we're thinking about that all the time. Like, can we can we help this wine in a way or can we balance this wine in a way whether through our winemaking techniques or our barrels so that there is um, that food aspect of it because I love eating and <laughs> I love pairing wine with uh, with food so um, that is something that we think about it's in the back of our minds all the time but um, you know I, I love Merlot especially I think it's a wonderful food pairing wine and uh, always try to remind people that you know don't forget to, <laughs> to you know you build build your meal around yep. it if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think going back to the question of what was the the problem with Merlot, I think that although sadly it was all ripped up, right. I think a lot of it needed to be ripped up. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and I think now, I, like I see Willow Creek as a very ideal place for Merlot to grow. Yes. I don't know where else it's so so much growing to give the quality that, and I'm not putting down any other, right. it, it, you know, sub AVA or whatever, but you know, I, and I'll throw my AVA Australia is right. hot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's going to produce a very different Merlot mm-hmm. and the winemaker is going to have to treat that Merlot very differently from start to finish. Right. Um, you know, the, the vine training has got to be different. How the, the berries, how you're dealing with berries, the, the water, you know, all of that is going to have to be treated differently in Australia than here in Willow Creek. And they both can give phenomenal wines, but they need to be treated differently. And I think what one of the problems with Merlot in the past was, was that wasn't being done no matter where the Merlot was being grown, it was being produced in kind of the same fashion. Exactly. It wasn't, Merlot likes tender loving care. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, you know. Yeah, too um, little, too much, or too little, or not enough, or whatever, you know. Right. Too much. Right. Yeah, there are some great varieties out there that are like, you know, leave me alone, and I'll do my, I'll do my job, and I'll right. do it well. And I think Merlot is like, no. Come, come caress me. Give me come, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give yeah. me attention. I don't, you know, I want the spotlight Merlot, right? I want, I want the spotlight. I want you paying attention to me. Right. And these wines demonstrate what attention can do yes. and the quality that, that there is. 
But I think going back to your earlier question on how um, Willow Creek District is different from the other other um, sub AVAs, you, you, I think the best way to look at it is not that one is better than the other. Right. It's more like you were saying. It's more what can you grow consistently from year to year and get quality consistently from year to year, depending on that grape's needs and the the, the characteristics of that sub you know subclimate. So I, I think yeah. I think Willow Creek District is is positioned very well to grow year after year high quality Merlot, um, especially if you have if you're lucky like we do and we have different soil types and different water availability and and uh, elevations within the same vineyard. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, I would definitely you know uh, push for more Merlot to be planted in Willow Creek. Of course, like part of me doesn't want to because right. the best Merlot in Willow Creek. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think uh, that being said, you go just north, go to go to Adelaide District, and they have soils, they have um, aspects, they have um, just a different temperature range that's going to work way better for some other varieties that we just we we can do. But again, from year to year, we may not be able to kneel every time. So right. I think that's that's an important characteristic for uh, I think people to understand. Right. Yeah. And that's any grape variety. That's not just Merlot. Right. That's any grape variety. You have to plant it where it wants to be, where it can be happy. Because I, I think that a winemaker's job is to, I loved what you said, shepherd, you know, shepherd it versus force it. Right. And I think old Merlot was forced. Yeah. And I think the people who have, who the winemakers who, who have love Merlot and have stuck through this whole thing and are, you know, in the forefront of creating these incredible Merlots, they have a passion for it and they are shepherding it. They're mm -hmm. guiding it versus, you know, or more so they're listening to it right. versus telling it what to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, 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 it's great because around here, uh, it, it's, it's funny to, um, you know, it's not, it's not a grape you hear about, right? So it's like, where did you find that Merlot? That's grown here. Yeah, right. <laughs> really? Some small corner. Again, that's a remnant of, of, of when there maybe used to be more. or um, and, and a lot of small producers are getting their hands on it. And again, maybe modifying a little bit of how it's being grown and, and bringing it back to the winery and changing the winemaking techniques and, and showcasing it. So I think it's just there's been this great um, uh, change uh, over the last couple of years that we can't, couldn't be happier to be a part of it. Absolutely. All right, so let's try this last vintage, and then I'm going to give you a question that has stung, that will, Ooh, has stung uh, some, some previous ones. Some, okay. Some. I think it wasn't so much the question stumped them, it was the spur of the moment. Um, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so as It'll we... probably get me, I just, I know I'm down. I'm not here with you, so... So this oh, is sorry. 2020. 2020, which, yes. So we, we can talk a lot about the 2020, 2020 vintage. Oh absolutely. my goodness. <laughs> so so we did, uh, still plan, we did 81% Merlot though. Um, my goal over the years has been, how can we make, I always start with, how can I make it as close to 100% and then from there I tweak it just because we're looking for a little something, right? Okay. So um, I, love, I love blends, I have to say it again, but 
but I also oh, love wow. showcasing. Ooh, that's a whole different wine. Yeah. Completely, completely <laughs> different wine. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so yeah, 2020 vintage. Uh, so talk about 18 was the vintage that made every winemaker feel like a winemaker. I think 2020 made everyone feel like um, they had no idea what they were doing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, on top of on top of the fires, the smoke, um, you know, I, I like to be just extremely honest with our customers about what we experienced in this vintage because it was it was something else. I mean, there were there were days where we didn't want to go outside the cellar because our, our lungs hurt. Right. You know, it was yeah. so smoky in the air. So something that we had to be very very vigilant of throughout the whole process. Um, and uh, thankfully, Merlot was one of the varieties. I think we got it off a little bit earlier. Right. It's a little bit earlier variety. Um, didn't seem to be as affected, if, if at all, by um, uh, the smoke issues. Um, but we ended up cutting about 50% of our, our, our uh, program okay. for, for all of 2020. So it will be a small vintage. I'm sorry to our wine club members <laughs> and our customers, but we want to make sure we, 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 uh, we give them everything, the, the best wine that we can. And, uh, but it was also on top of that, it was, it was also quite a warm year, uh, yeah. you know, start out warm. This is redder fruit. Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, is that a word? Redder? Redder. redder. More, more, more red fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but that was, what's really interesting about it. So I think, um, we didn't quite get as much color necessarily. I mean, it's still quite dark vintage mm -hmm. for us. Um, but what I did see was there was actually still quite a, um, uh, great aromatics, um, and, 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 but a little bit fruitier uh, mm -hmm. and it was, it, it is definitely licorice yeah, also definitely redder and, and, uh, uh, yeah, there's more of that. Um, yeah, exactly. That cherry licorice, uh, more on the, uh, more ripe, not too overripe. Uh, it's not, it, it's not green, right? Like there's no, and, and not. Not as earthy or spicy as right. maybe like eighteen. So, uh, and that was that was something that we wanted to know because we knew going into this we we're going to have um, a decent amount of tannin that we had to be careful of. So we had to press a little bit earlier on mm -hmm. one of these, um, and we wanted to sort of focus on the fruity aromatic profile of this wine. And uh, we were pretty happy with it because it's actually especially in the class right now. It really is pretty intense. Yeah, there's that word again. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the when you when you processed it or when you pressed it, did you do a lighter press because you were worried about smoke? You know, we didn't because um, we did a lot of as much analysis as we could in the vineyard, and uh, but we knew that we once we embraced it, we had to make a red wine. We were going to make the best red wine we could, and uh, I, I think the most of the studies are showing that. Uh, you know, if you did really any fermentation that was at all warm or, um, you know, you were on the skins for a period of time, if you had a smoke taint issue, you're going to have it. No right. matter how. So, um, I think we did our normal, we, we tend to do pretty, uh, light first fraction anyways. Okay. So our free run is, um, whatever drains off the tank and then just gently press in the tank, um, uh, for not too long. And that's our free run prep fraction. And then uh, the press gets separated. I think in this case, we actually did use uh, only the free run portion oh, of the okay. Merlot anyway. So, but I think that was more out of just what we were tasting and, and what we preferred for this wine. Um, but we knew we wanted to make sure that it was soft and, 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 and rich and not overly structured, focus on, on the complexity of the fruit in this, right. in this vintage. Yeah, and I really like that kind of, um, there's also something sort of 
blue to the fruit. I don't know how to describe it. A little blueberry. <laughs> yeah, there's like a little blueberry. A little blueberry. But it, which is strange for fruit. But uh, again, yeah, it's more focused on yeah. kind of the Very, very different than the 19 and 18 are closer mm -hmm. than 20 is to either of them. Uh, it is definitely more on the red where the other ones were more to the, the darker fruit. Right. Uh, this is more right. to the red fruit. There is absolutely no smoke in there at all. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, so I yeah. found actually, which which is at, as the winemaker uh, sucks. <laughs> I uh, I'm not sensitive to smoke tank at all. Oh. Uh, and uh, it, it, you know, a cork tank, great. I can yeah, pick it up. You can pick that out. I pick it up pretty quickly. Um, a smoke tank, not at all. So uh, you know, one of the we went into this again, basically pretending like we've never made wine before. That we have no egos, and um, we had everyone we could taste, taste. these wines. Uh, at, you know, before, during, after we blended them, and uh, and just to kind of narrow it down to what we were comfortable with. And um, yeah, no, I found uh, Nate. You met Nate, our assistant winemaker. He's he's very sensitive to. Okay. It. And he almost has like more of a. It's it's almost like TCA at a, at a really low level where you know it's there, but you can't like quite pick it out. Right. There, there's definitely some varieties that were that showed it um, more than right. others, and I would see it as maybe almost like again like cork taint where it's muted the fruit, and I can see that part of it, and then he'd be like, that's not very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, so I go, okay, okay, <laughs> I will trust this. So um, now, thankfully, again, like overall, we were pretty low levels um, across the board. Uh, a lot of varieties, like again, the low. Cabernet, um, very, very, very clean. Like there's, there's no, there's no issues with those. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, some of our Syrahs, I mean, no problem. Really? Uh, yeah. Because Syrah takes right. it on big right. time. Well, we where we did see some issues was more like Grenache, Graziano, things oh, like really? that, which was very surprising. I didn't expect that. Um, and Petit Verdot, so oh, Petit um, Verdot makes sense. Yeah, so we uh, we ended up uh, not making one of our one of our one oh. of our wines for this vintage, just because, and, and it was probably going to be one of the best vintages. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be be saying this because it's kind of, sort of a tease. It was probably one of the best vintages of Petit Verdot we've ever made. Yeah. It was a wonderful wine. It tasted great, and then like right at the end, you're like, oh, oh. that's weird. So, um, so yeah. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we don't experience it this uh, anytime we soon. We hope not. But, um, <laughs> you know, but again, I think you know, as far as the vintage goes, um, you know, we we made the best of what we had, and uh, ended up being a you know uh, some some of these some of these varieties showcase really really well. Um, and I actually like the the structure on this wine. The twenty twenty is actually pretty pretty nice. It's it's softer. It's got it does have it's not maybe as big, but it's it's pretty balanced. And I think give it another year in a bottle. And it'll okay. I mean, this is a twenty, so it's a year younger than the um, the nineteen. So so far, I'm pretty 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 happy with it. Yeah, it's definitely a lighter wine, uh, and the spectrum is more pushed towards that red fruit versus the darker fruit, um, but the acidity. Is bad. The, you know, yes. the acidity is. Yes. Is yeah. Yeah. And we did see that. And uh, despite despite the warmer kind of overall warmer weather, we still had pretty great uh, acid retention. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, we we joke, but it might have been true. Some of those re the worst hot days were the days that the smoke was the thickest, and so I think the fruit was able to survive. But, you know, oh, because. Yeah. And it cooled down quicker because right. there was just there was not enough sunlight um, coming through. And we're actually we have our um, 
two weather stations that measure the solar radiation. You can actually see those days, yeah, massive oh, drop wow. in solar radiation. So you, you, you expect, you know, okay, the, the machine's picking that up, the fruit's not getting the intense sunlight, it, right. but they're definitely still getting UV and, and other things. So it's still ripening, it's just not as, uh, not as fast yeah. as right. it once would. So, right. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was there was some interesting um, interesting positives and, and, and lessons learned in 2020, for sure. Yeah. We always have to learn the lessons, yeah. right? We hope we don't have to use those lessons from 2020 ever again. Ever again. But, <laughs> but yes, absolutely. All right, so here's my question okay. uh, that, you know, if you had to, if you wanted people to leave this interview with three facts about Merlot, what would they be? Three facts about Merlot. Yeah, that you want them to walk away from with. I think along along the lines of what we've talked about already, that it is a it can be a very nuanced, structured, standalone, beautiful wine um, that should be a part of your cellar. I think that's that's one. Uh, see, so three three things I want to trust for now. <laughs> we can do uh, two. We can uh, do two. I've let others do two. I would say you know you you almost want to think about it as. I think it's more of an interesting fact, you know, it's, it's like, for me, it's like Pinot Noir, where we always hear Pinot Noir is so hard to grow, so hard to make, so uh, um, temperamental, and I think that is something to be almost respected, you know, and, and understood and, and appreciated um, of the variety, um, is, you know, if it is respected and, and treated well, um, it, it yields amazing results. So. I think be excited about that and um, learn where you're getting your Merlot and, and, and why they're making it and how they're making it and, and get a, get engaged and excited and how uh, you know what that wine really means. Um, let's see. Thirdly, uh, I would just say that uh, I don't know. This is kind of similar, but um, you know, as as a small producer, we're we're always trying to teach our customers and, 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 and what we're trying to do. Um, but I would say uh, we are definitely trying to get the message out that Merlot is back. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, please, you know, encourage um, your friends and family and yourselves to, to give it a try again and, and, uh, um, and, and, and see what you like and, and don't get discouraged. You know, if you, you find something that's maybe not your style or maybe not your preference, but um, yeah, keep trying and, and give us the opportunity to, to share them and, and explain what we're trying to do with those wines. And that is a fantastic fact. Just because you try one anything and don't like it doesn't mean that you don't like it. Right. And yes. Give it, absolutely. give another one a try. Give another one. Life As we say, <laughs> you can always dump it. If it's not to your palate, you can dump it. So give it a try. Right? Absolutely. Because you can be surprised. And then where can people find Jada? Yeah, uh, mostly through the taste room right now. Uh, we're still pretty small, but uh, we are, I wish I knew, um, we're at a select few restaurants um, in California. Um, I don't know them off the top of my head at the moment, but we're just- That's now not getting, your job. No, we're just now getting into, and I think it's important to say, we're just getting into distribution and it's mostly to focus on just getting our, our brand out in the world and getting it into restaurants. Again, hopefully, or food pairing yeah. options and and um, uh, just recently and you'll you'll enjoy this uh, we we just got a couple placements in New York for the first time so oh nice uh, congrats so we'll, now we actually have a Hell's Kitchen in Jersey Girl there which is going to be 
That's we've, awesome. We've, we've never been distributed over there, but again, very small amounts of very select few restaurants. Um, for the most part, um, you know, we're, we're, we've got a great website and um, you can definitely buy up our website. Um, come visit us at the tea room. We're open seven days a week, uh, I think 11 to 4.45. And uh, I think nowadays we, we, we do prefer reservations, but um, we don't turn away. Walk-ins walk are fine. Sure. Especially with our expanded area, we're trying to work on and we'll, it's a lot more easy for, uh, a lot easier for us to accommodate uh, more people. So. And you're on social media also. Yes, yes. I uh, I wish I knew our handle. I think it's Jada Winery. I, mean, I think it's Jada Winery. <laughs> it's pretty simple. You'll find us if we're on there. But uh, um, Josh Messina, our GM, he does a great job doing social media and, and uh, keeping everyone up to date on what we're doing in the cellar and doing uh, on, on some of these projects and, and uh, some of the new uh, new additions to the vineyard. Um, so, But yeah, I would say, you know, for now we're... we're uh, we're focusing really on the customer interaction and, and, and making sure that we're able to share our wines in person and um, uh, explain what we're doing here at Jada. So I think that's, that's still a very important part of our, uh, our, our plan. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And here's to Merlot. You are empty, yeah. but we'll clink yeah. anyway. Yeah. Here's to Merlot. Irish coffee. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoyt-Budd. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com and sign up for my newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Podcast music is Wine by Kievitz. Until next week, slancha. Right now.